0: and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Turning your Bibles today to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. Uh, We're starting a new series today called outlasters, and I want to explain to you what an outlaster is, what an outlaster is. Now, um, nobody really likes to think about this, um, but what I want to, over the course of the next four weeks, that's eight, four, the next four weeks, I want you to think about what happens after. You're, you're, you're dead and gone. What happens, and this is hard for us to think about sometimes, but what happens after your life has ended? Now, some of us don't like to talk about that. My wife is one of them. Like, I, I'll, I'll, we'll be driving down the road, and I'll say, hey, baby, listen, when I die, this is what I want. Now, I've told her, I want, I, I want them to stuff me and prop me up at my funeral. Not in a casket. No. I don't want a memoriam here. I want to be stuffed and propped up. She doesn't like to talk about that. Some of y'all might think that's, you know, a little discolored joke. But uh, it's funny. uh, And you can laugh. It's fine. Um, But she doesn't like to talk about it. We'll talk. Hey, if I pass away think about this, think about this, this is what we, we need to look at. And she doesn't like to talk about it. I've become very comfortable talking about it for a couple of reasons. One, I've done the research. Statistics say one out of one die. I've done the research. It's coming for me. The other reason, I'm, I, 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 I'm not bothered by it, is because y'all know what I'm about to say. My bags are packed. I know where I'm going. I know where I'm headed. And over the years, I've, I've been involved in many different funeral um, and celebrations of life, memorial services. And when you do a funeral, when someone dies, um, typically the first thing I do is I meet with the family. And I try and get a sense if I didn't know them, a sense of who they are, what they were about. And, and, and those rooms can be very um, tense. Those rooms can be very uh, weighty and heavy. Um, and some of them aren't. There's a lot of them where I go into the room and I'll ask, you know, when, when I say the name so-and-so, what comes to your mind? And there's this awkward silence throughout the room. And... And and everybody's kind of waiting on somebody else to say something, and somebody will bring up NASCAR, and somebody else will pipe in, "Yeah, he liked NASCAR," Uh, or he liked chicken wings. Or I remember one time he fell. Uh, You know, there's lots of things that come up. Now, other times I'll do funeral prep and I'll meet with the family, and it's it's like. Off to the races. Everybody's got something to say. Man, he really felt strongly about this. He was always doing this. And so what I want us to talk about is what about you will outlast your life? What about you is going to outlast the dash? You know, the, the, the dash being mine started in 1987. That's when I was born. And then there's a dash. And then there's going to be another date on the other end. But what you do during that dash is what will determine what outlives you. So I want to talk about that. Um, and, And one good example of this is we're here today. There was a small group of disciples... That saw Jesus, witnessed Jesus, this small group of believers that is now millions and millions of believers all over the world. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. What they believed in outlived them. And so I I want to draw your attention there. So I want to go to Psalms 112. This is kind of going to be our our verse of Scripture throughout the series, but it says in verse 1, Praise the Lord! How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will what? Last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. Do you see what the purpose there is in, 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 in putting things forward that will outlive you? Good things, Godly things. It will light up the darkness. And that's good. Continuing in verse four. They are generous, compassionate and righteous. Good. Comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Verse 6 Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Long remembered. Man, that excites me. It excites me, and also it's kind of a, a burden of sorts, that what am I passing forward? Um, is it my love, my deep abiding love for fried chicken? Or will it be something of substance? Something look, people will forget that I like fried chicken. But generations from now, I do not want people to miss Jesus. And so today, in a world where it's, it's like we love money and use people, I want us to love people and use money. So this, this series for the next four weeks is about giving. Everybody say giving. Yeah. And what God can do in his people through this. So when, when you listen to this series, I want you to listen as a parent. So if you're a parent in the room, listen as a parent. What, what, how are you preparing your kids for what's to come once you're gone? Even if you're not a parent, God has called you to be a leader. And if you don't think you're leading people, you're missing it. You're leading someone. Well, what is leading? What is leading? That means somebody is watching you and following your example. Yeah, all of you are leaders. Hey, eye contact, real quick. You're all leaders. You're leading your family somewhere. You're leading this church somewhere. You're leading your friends, your coworkers, your children, your neighbor. You're leading somebody. Somebody is watching And if anything, I need you to listen to this series as a follower of Christ. So if you're a follower of Christ, what the Bible says here is very clear. That when we obey the commands of the Lord, and we are after God, that an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Listen to some of these promises. Their good deeds will last forever. And it gives some descriptors that light's going to shine into the darkness, that these people are generous and compassionate. They won't be overcome. Yeah. Anybody want to be an overcomer? Yes. The answer is yes. You do. This is what we're talking about today. Now, history and sociologists will tell us that... It is hard, it's called the third generation challenge. It is hard to pass something from the first generation to the third generation. Okay? So, uh, whether it's values or, or, or money or wealth or businesses, it's hard to pass from the first to the third generation. Um, for those who are in business, they say the first generation starts it. The second generation runs it. And the third generation ruins it. If you aren't in business, that's, that's commonplace to say. And, and there's a reason why. Um, the first generation, what you'll witness is strong leadership, economic prosperity, intellectual growth, spiritual growth. That first generation are risk takers. The second generation, well, they come along and they inherit something. They appreciate, but they did not earn. Loss of drive, loss of creativity. They don't want to risk anything because they appreciate what they've received, but they they don't have that first-generation type faith and risk. So what do they do? They preserve it. Let me protect this. And then you get to the third generation, and all they've ever seen is preservation and entrenchment. That's all they've ever seen. They they see this thing that's being protected and guarded, um, but they don't know how it got there. They don't don't know where it came from, and so they're idle. No vision, no passion. They often question their identity. Like, well, what do I want to do with this anyway? They reject the values, and then you see things decline. There's a perfect story of this in the Bible. Joshua. Everybody say Joshua. Joshua. Joshua, when he was with Moses, he was a commander in battle. He pressed forward. you all remember these stories where they they took over cities and they took over lands? I mean, this guy was just a first-generation forger. Well, the second generation, they inherited these things. They protected what they had, but they, they started to... While they were trying to protect it, they they didn't understand a lot of the risk that had been taken. And so they worshiped half heartedly. And then the third generation of Israelites came in. They rarely needed to call on God, and they had a few struggles. And then all of a sudden, they gave way to the things around them. They didn't see any value in it. You see this in the Bible, you see it in the people of God. And you've probably seen it in church. As a matter of fact, that third generation lands us in Judges twenty-one, twenty-five, where it says, "In those days, Israel had no king; all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes." Does that sound familiar? Sound like twenty nineteen to you? I'll just do whatever feels good to me because you don't know how we got here. And so there are some challenges. Everybody say challenges. There are some challenges to to what God is expecting of us here in Psalms 112, where we are passing things from generation to generation. I think this generation has three main challenges. Three main challenges in pushing forward what God has called us to push forward, not only in giving, but in faith. Number one is we risk too little. We risk too little. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. When I grew up, when my grandparents grew up, let, let, I'll start there with my parents. I'll start with my parents. Um, nobody wore seat belts back then. What was the seatbelt? That was your mom's arm. I'm pretty sure that's where they came up with the airbag. You know, because grandma was taking you down the road and you know, when, when you get older, you know, my grandma had this soft little pillow right here. I used to sleep on it during church. And what? What? Sorry, if that's not funny to you. It's funny, okay? It's funny. And she was driving in the car, and she had to slam on the brakes, and that, that pillow just came flying around. And they thought, man, we need an airbag. That's what... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's not how it came about, okay? It's, it's, a, it's just a fake story, but you, you get what I'm saying. When I, Anybody ever dive from the high dive? We did that. Yeah. I used to go out in the streets of my neighborhood with no, we didn't have cell phones. Well, I'd just roam and my mom would be, like, be back by the time it gets dark. If I did that today, I would end up in prison for abandoning my child. You know, that, that's exact. Child protective services would be at my door. In West Virginia, we rode in the back of pickup trucks, like on the wheel well. Yeah. Sometimes dead animals in the back of it. I remember driving to church. My parents had a station wagon with a seat in the back. Y'all, and you face backwards? You ever ridden in one of those? Some of, y'all, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. There's some kids in this room that are going to be like, that didn't happen. There's no way. Yeah. And we used to play back there. We weren't buckled in, we just played. When I was little, me and my brother, went, this is how we had fun we would go outside. That's what we did. We went outside. And what our, our toy of chores our, our toy of choice was a pickaxe. Cause we were gonna make a bright bike trail, yeah. So we were out there just. I'm talking, we're seven, eight years old, just swinging this pickaxe around, digging up stumps and trees. We couldn't get this one stump, so we got that pickaxe up under that root that wouldn't give, and we went to rocking. My brother's on the other end. I got the point towards me. Of course, I'm not thinking about that rocking, and then boom, that root busted, and into my knee went that pickaxe. I know what you're thinking. Emergency room. No. I could see the pulse of my heart shooting from my knee. And my mom dumped a black bottle of peroxide down in it, put a Band-Aid on it, and said, you'll be fine. But today, today we remove playground equipment because they might skin their knee. Y'all don't know nothing about a metal slide. You would just roll down it and get sunburned on the right <laughs> summer day. Yeah. We're, we're changing up play because we don't want kids to get hurt. No, some of it. It's warranted, okay? Some of it is, yeah, sure. Some of that was just ridiculous. It's amazing. Some of you made it today, I'll be honest. (laughs) But teachers don't want to use red pen anymore because it might hurt someone's feelings. My daughter plays t-ball. Now, maybe at t-ball level, but she plays t-ball. There's no score. There's no stats. They bat through the entire lineup, and when the last kid bats, they all run around the bases. But even older than that, we want to assure that no kid loses. That's not biblically reflective. That you don't lose in life, that you don't hurt in life. We've protected them from failing. And now, because we risk too little, this generation is fearful of normal things. Kids don't want to fill out college applications because they're afraid they're going to get rejected by the college. They don't know how to process it because we protected them from it. Now, I'm not saying we should go surf on the hood of cars. But we shouldn't be putting helmets, knee pads, and gloves on our kid to go check the mailbox. Listen, the people of God, That first generation, they're known by risk. Godly, faith-filled risk. Where their lives were on the line. Giving till it hurts that we just don't risk. We don't risk anymore. I think it's a problem. Because what it robs you of is an opportunity for God to build your faith. You will see no helmets or knee pads in here. It's the scrapes and bruises that prepare you for the hurt that is inevitable. Number one, we risk too little. Number two, we rescue too quickly. Kid forgets to do a science project. They come home, parents go to work. Let me cut up a Coke bottle and I'll make your science project for you. Yeah, it happens. They forget their jacket or they forget their lunch money. Now, when I did that, I starved to death and froze. And I never forgot it again. I'm lying. I forgot it again. I was a lot skinnier then. You see, I've learned. But now we'll just, we'll turn around, drive 45 minutes back to the house, bring them their jacket and their money, and they know nothing of responsibility because we have saved them from it. Back in the day, if I got trou- in, at trouble, at, uh, in trouble at school, they would call my parents. My parents would instruct them. They said, he did what? Hit him. standing rule at church that I got hit. It was a standing rule. Now, we run to, we run to the school. My baby didn't do that. that is, you know, there's, the statistic is, is that there's 85% of those 32 and under move back home with their parents sometime after they leave. 85%. Now, if you're still in school, look, I, I get all that. There, there, there's a place for that. But if you're 30 years old, you know, they make movies about this. The guy that never moves out. I, I can't promo that video, that movie for you because your pastor probably shouldn't have watched it. But it, listen, it, it's a funny movie. 85% move back home because they have no ability. We've rescued them from everything. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle life. And and listen, for all of those in the room that like to look at the millennial generation and say, Man, what a waste. It is the previous generations that raised them. We have no one to point at but ourselves. It makes me remember the, the story. Have you heard the story in the Bible of the prodigal son? Have you heard the story? It goes like this. Rich father, he's worked 30 years, years, 70, 60 generations. He's worked to get what he has, and, and he gives his son. His son's like, I want this. I want it now. And so he gives it to his son. His son goes, blows all this money, blows it. And the father ran to the city and rescued him. That's not the story. No. The father did not rescue the son. You know why? The son needed to come. The, the scripture says this he needed to come to his senses himself at the repercussions of your actions. Listen. Just like this Bible says that if you do these things, if you're generous, compassionate, and righteous, that God will do this, this, and this. If you live a sinful life of poor decisions, you will reap sinful, poor decision-making consequences. He never rescued him. So we risk too little we rescue too quickly and we reward, number three, we reward too frequently. I remember when I got my first cell phone. I remember. Now, some of you grew up without cell phones in general. Like, you, you got cell phones after you retired. Right? Yeah. That's, that's fine. I know who I'm preaching to. Praise God. Now, I got a cell phone when I was 16 years old because I I got my license and I got a car and uh, my mom wanted a way to keep up with me. Now, I never got allowances. I had to go find work to make money. You know, the average seven-year-old makes 10 bucks a week for doing nothing. It's 520 bucks a year. For doing, for existing, for being a good boy. Now, that's not true in all places. Some of you all have chores, but uh, the average 12-year-old, get this, you ready? Some statistics for you. The average 12-year-old has at least one pair of $100 sneakers. I'll just leave that one there. Cell phone at 12, free car at 16. They're living the same lifestyle as their parents, but they've never earned it. Now let me tell you what this creates. It creates a generation that will go into debt to pursue happiness. Because all they've done is been rewarded for doing nothing. Y'all don't like this type of preaching, I get it. But I'm, I'm telling you, if... We, th- there's, this is the most in-debt generation this country has ever seen. You know why they're in debt? You know why they're in debt? Because we, as Christians, as Christians, listen, have bowed down at the altar of happiness. Bowed down at the altar of happiness. I want whatever makes me happy. I'll go into debt for it. If I, if I don't have enough money for it, I'll go into debt for it. Um, and, and I'm not just talking like house and cars that are really, really expensive and nobody has $250,000 laying around by house. At least I, I didn't. I grew up in a single wide trailer. So the fact that I'm living in a stick-built house is miraculous to me. <laughs> what? Have you ever been in a single wide trailer? Me and my brother, I could touch one side of our house, and he could touch my hand, and he could touch the other side of the house. You go down the, ho- the hallway like this on laundry day. <laughs> Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. That's fine. But we've bowed down at the altar of happiness. We'll go into dead over silly things. Well, it even trickles into marriage. I'm going to marry this person because they make me Happy. <laughs> Uh Until they don't make me happy, and then I'll just go back on all the promises I've made. You you see how it infiltrates our promises and our commitments as Christians when we pursue happiness? You know, because the Bible says, be happy, for I am happy. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, be holy, as I am holy. You see, God's after your holiness, not your happiness. When we instill things. You see, happiness is not the end goal. Because what you'll find is that happiness is a moving target. And you know this to be true. Because you'll get what you thought would make you happy and it lasts for a little while. And then the target moves. Oh this will make me happy. This will make me happy. But what Christ is after is a generous heart, a compassionate heart, a righteous heart as it says in verse 4, because happiness is a should be a byproduct of what we should be after. And so let me lay the foundation for this whole series with this phrase. We need to worry less about today's happiness and more about tomorrow's readiness. We need to be, we need to worry less about today's happiness and more about tomorrow's readiness. I look at my daughter sometimes, and we're bringing another one into the world, McKinley. She'll be here February sometime. <clears throat> and look, I'm not going to be able to li- leave them some type of dowry, some type of hundreds of thousands of dollars that they can get started in life on. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that. And for those who don't have kids, or maybe your kids are out of the house Maybe you don't have kids at all. Maybe you're just a Christian. Maybe you're just wondering how this applies. And, and what I can tell you is, is that my biggest concern for my daughter and for the church, Transformation Church, listen, is that when all of us are dead and gone, what have we left? Yeah. What have we left? And how do we prepare them? How do I make you ready? Now, just a couple things here. So so the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three things. Next week, we're going to talk about how, we're going to learn how to create wealth to use for the glory of God. For some reason, there's this really bad stigma about wealth. Evidently, Christians can't be wealthy, which is ridiculous. Um... The Christians that you see that uh, you may that that may rub when it comes to wealth is probably Christians who love wealth more than jesus, and that 's the problem. The Bible says nothing of Christians having to be poor. you know why? because look if christian if if it's bad to be wealthy, then it means that Evil is funded and the kingdom of God is not. Even the Bible says that Christ himself owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The the goal of the Christian is not to be poor and broke. The, The aim of the Christian is to take what God has given us and use it for his glory. Oh. It is a common phrase around our house. That the money we make is from God. So when we, if, if there's ever a wrestle with tithing, hear me. I'm giving back to him what he gave to me. It's his to begin with. And all he asks of me is the 10%. That's what we call tithing. That's what we call it, 10%. To give back to him. When we talk about our house, and, and people are like, oh, y'all have all those people over all the time? Yes, it's not my house. It's for the glory of the Lord. My car, I just, I just give people things. If they, do, if they need it, they, they have need of it. I just, it's not for me. It's for me to bless others. So how do we create wealth to use it for the glory of God? The week after that, create a hunger for 1st generation. Uh, First generation faith in Christ How do we instill in a generation Not just what we've experienced But what they can experience Isn't that what generates faith and stirs faith Is when you experience God in a way you've never experienced The number one way we can push back The darkness in this world Is by passing on a first generation faith How do we do that? With stories. Stories. We're going to tell stories on week three of God's goodness and faithfulness. And in week four, we want to cultivate an internal drive, an eternal passion. And some of you might think, oh, well, can we just talk about Jesus? Can, can, can we just, why are we talking about this? Well, listen, this is, it's all involved here. Because listen, if Jesus isn't at this, what do we sing this morning? Jesus be the center of it all except my paycheck? Oh, here we go. Don't preach that, preacher. You know, churches, they always want your money. No, God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money, He needs your obedience. I wish you could get that. He's not after your money, He's after your obedience. And out of that obedience, it said it right here, delights, verse 1, in obeying his commands. Listen to the promise. Just listen to the promise. Their children will be successful. Do you want your kids to be successful? Do you want the transformation church of 10 years from now to be successful? Thank you. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will go on. Man, I wish we could get just a, a fired up people in this room that say, hey, I want to pass a lit torch. Yeah. Not a damp wet one, a wet one. You know what I'm saying? Damp and wet are the same thing, but I put them all together because I want you to get the picture. Good comes to those who lend generously. They will not be overcome with evil. This is what I'm after. That's what the Lord is after in you. First Chronicles, and I'm going to close. First Chronicles uh, 28, 9 through 10 says this, And Solomon, my son, listen, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. You know why he says that? Listen, if, 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 you, if your parents are still alive, I need you to hear this. For those whose parents are still with us. You will not piggyback to heaven on your, your parents' faith coat train. I, I witnessed my mother... Walked through divorce, walked through such hard times financially, and I've, I've I've told this story before, and there were times where we didn't we didn't have money for groceries, but she would cut the Tide check anyway, <laughs> and someone would show up at the front door with groceries. All of a sudden, we know something different about God. Mm -hmm. That when you obey Him, He responds. Now I know that intimately. I know, look, I have been in seasons where I did not give anything to God financially, and my budget was always tighter. I was like, where did all the money go? But when I give to God, all of a sudden, it's like things just, and I'm not making any more money. All of a sudden, I know God differently when I've been brokenhearted and wondered what could heal this wound. And he comes in and he heals it. All of a sudden, I know it's not just because my mom said he's faithful. It's not just because my grandfather knew he was faithful. It's because I have experienced his faithfulness. That's what he's saying right here in 1 Chronicles. David is saying to Solomon, learn to know the God of your ancestors intimately. Get to know him firsthand. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind for the Lord Sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. If you seek Him, you will find Him. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as His sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. I'm asking you today to know God intimately. To seek Him. Because He has called you to something. And it is more than just sitting in this pew Sunday morning. Yeah. He's called you to something. He's called me to something. He has me pastoring here and, and, and doing the, walking this life with you currently. So that this church, when I'm long and gone, whether dead or, or whatever, when you're long and gone. That his work continues. And it doesn't just stop with you. I I, I will consider it a failure. If Christ. The Christ in me doesn't outlive me. I want to outlast. I want that to outlast. I want to create a church that outlasts any one of us. I want God to build within us such fortification and desire for him that ministry here goes on forever and that goes for you personally I want to pray for you today then I'm going to bring up my my brother Woody and he's just got some encouragement for you would you pray with me father thank you for your presence here That this faith, this stuff we're talking about today isn't just something that we should pass on in word but it is something we can experience in the now. That your faith isn't just a fable. Your faithfulness isn't just a story. But it is active and working. God, stir within us today a desire for our kids, for the future of this church, for those we are leading as a follower of Christ, that when people look at me, they would say, man, he loved the Lord. Man, she loved the Lord. Everything they had was for him. God, stir within us, a desire to be closer more intimate with you and we will give you all the praise and all the glory for great things have you done we need you more now than ever before especially in this day and time so God let us push back against the tide and and this this fleshly desire to reserve and pull back and and just hunker down. But God, let us stand up in faith and in fullness knowing the God that we serve. Give us courage. Give us bravery. Strengthen us with your Holy Spirit, we ask. In the precious name of Christ, everyone said, Amen.